morning, everybody. Happy Easter to you. Uh, there was a litany that's gone on for 2,000 years where someone would say, He is risen, and people would respond, He's risen indeed. Let's do that, okay? He is risen. He is risen Amen. He is. And that gives us hope. I remember blindly uh, 10 years ago on my first of many visits to the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, about five years after the Civil War had ravaged the country. I was sitting with the president uh, of the denomination. He oversaw uh, like three or four million people. By overseeing, I mean medical care, uh, education, the church over there, the government gives them regions. And I remember asking him, hey, um, you know, as we got there, like, what's your hope? What's your hope? What can we do? And he stopped me and he said, you Americans. He's like, hope for the future? He goes, we're just trying to make it through the day. We don't have hope beyond tomorrow. We've been ravaged. Um, And as we talked more and more, we discovered uh, hope that Jesus gives. And that's what we offer to you today, the real hope that Jesus gives. I want to talk about that for a few minutes, okay? So settle in for a second. Uh, Let me ask you a question. What's your hope in? What's your hope in? Who's your hope in? What are you hoping for? What is hope? Dr. Jerome Groupman, who's a Harvard Med School professor, he specialty is cancer and AIDS. He works in very hopeless situations. He wrote a book that's groundbreaking, actually, called The Anatomy of Hope. The Anatomy of Hope. And it talks about how people prevail in the face of illness. So in this book, he talks about the uh, vital role that hope plays in the healing process. Here's what he said. I see hope at the very heart of medicine and healing. For my patients, hope is proved as important, listen to this, as important as any medication I can prescribe in healing. Wow. He says this, without hope, he says, mortals can't endure. It's easy to lose sight of that at a time, he says, when there's so much technology and the euphoria of science. What we're saying today is this, hope is life-giving. Hope is life-giving. He proved it in his book. One medical study he did, and there's plenty of them in the book, uh, talked about first-time heart attack victims. They took a group of men, 122 men, who had a heart attack for the first time. And of the 122, they broke them into two groups based on hope and hopelessness. Of the hopelessness group, of the 25 most pessimistic men, 21 died within five years. Of the 25 most hopeful men, only six had died. Hope was a leading predictor, or hopelessness was a leading predictor of death in the study. He went on to say, it was more accurate, hope, than any medical risk factor, including blood pressure, the amount of damage to the heart, the cholesterol level. That's why I always say, better pizza and cannoli with hope than broccoli with despair. So honestly, settle in with me. How's your hope level? What are you hoping in? Who are you hoping in? Here's what I want you to hear. There's a few things, but here's the first. You have been hardwired for hope. It's part of your DNA. You've been hardwired for hope. The Bible says that. Look what it says in this Old Testament book called Job in chapter 8, verse 13. It says, those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget God, in other words, the farther away you get from God, the farther away our culture gets from God, I think we're seeing that today, the less hope we have. Why is that? We've been hardwired for hope. 
One author puts it this way. What happens when a culture forgets God? See if any of this is happening in our culture. Wealth is idolized. Truth is minimized. Life is trivialized. Television is vulgarized. Advertising is sensationalized. People are sexualized. uh, Consciences are desensitized. Free markets are monopolized. Races are polarized. Sports are scandalized. Sin is glamorized. Drugs are popularized. Courts are paralyzed. Uh, Breakup of family is rationalized. Christians are demonized. And God is marginalized when a culture loses hope and forgets God. The converse is also true. The closer you get to God, the more hope you'll have. Why is that? Because you've been hardwired for hope. It's part of our DNA. This is why if you've come for the first time or if you're a regular here, you're stepping into PCC at a great time. We're going to spend, Tony mentioned, the next couple months talking about hope in very practical ways. In the marketplace, at home, in your neighborhoods, with your career and your relationships that matter most. Okay, so what is hope? How do we define it? Hope is not optimism. Optimism is telling yourself things are going to be okay, even when they're not. That's optimism. Optimism is like the guy who fell off a 20-story building, and halfway down, someone outside the window said, Are you okay? And he said, So far, so good. That's optimism. Optimum is me as a 9, 10-year-old on my street. I grew up in Novato, about 60 miles north of here. And on our street, when I learned to play chess, it was my neighbor across the street, the Michael Jordan of chess at the time, the 13-year-old, Jay Lenchy. He taught me how to play chess, and he worked me every time. And optimism, he'd like in four or five moves, he'd checkmate me. I'd be like, ah, put the board together. I'll get you next time. I could never get him the next time. That's optimism. See, optimism is psychological. Now, don't miss this. We're not talking about that. Now, I'm not down on optimism. It's actually better than the alternative, right? I don't want us to all be pessimists. But hope is not psychological. You ready? Hope is theological. Hope is theological. It's a whole different category. Christian hope is the ability to see a path to the future. Christian hope is knowing for certain you'll have what's been promised to you in God's word. That's hope. And you know what the Bible calls that? An anchor for your soul. Something you can tether your life to. Because God keeps his promises. There's actually 7,000 promises in the Bible. Did you know that? Uh, For the rest of our time, we're going to go through 7,000. Ready? All 7,000? I'm just kidding. We'll just take half of them. No. Christian hope is theological. And we're going to talk about that today. See, God can't lie. And when we put our hope in his promises, when we hope in his character, it's a sure thing. The problem is in our culture, it's not that we lack hope. Here's the problem. We put our hope in the wrong thing. And it always lets us down. Uh, You may not know this. It's an election year. Anyone know that election year? Oh, man. The challenge, I think, and what's causing all the visceral, you know, stuff that we're seeing in debates and the responses in our country just becomes more and more polarized. Because we're placing our hope in the person we put in the White House. As followers of Christ, we place our hope in the person we put on the cross. And it makes a whole difference, big difference. So I want to unpack that for you and take the resurrection narrative from the book of John. And let's look at what hope means, especially for this one woman named Mary of Magdala. Uh, she had been checkmated. She was out of moves. There was nothing left for her. 
And yet God did something. He kept his promise and it made all the difference. I want you to find yourself in the story, okay? I don't want to give you hype. I don't want to give you hallmark. I want to give you something real this morning. Hope in a risen Savior. We pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 1, and interestingly, Jesus promised, right? Hope is putting your faith in the promises of God. Jesus promised multiple times, I'm going to rise again. He promised, they're going to kill me. They're going to brutally beat me. But on the third day, I'll rise again. You know what's amazing? If you look at the four biographical accounts of Jesus, not one of his closest followers expected him to keep that promise. No one was looking for a resurrection. They all came to an empty tomb, and not one person, his closest friends, said, Ah, just like he said. No one expected it. Let's look. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, and that's where hopelessness just breeds in the dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, She should have said, he's risen. He's kept his word. But look what she says. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. This is her checkmate moment. She's out of moves. It's dark. Some of you are there. Some of you understand what that's like when you feel like, oh my gosh, I have no moves left. Uh, Back in January, it was my parents' 60th wedding anniversary. And I'm fortunate to have two parents still alive and to be married 60 years. Talk about a legacy to give to me as a son. So I went up to celebrate with them. But the challenge is my parents are both in the late stages of their Alzheimer's. And they share um, in a boutique care facility. They share the master suite. But I sat in that room after driving for three hours, and it was I just felt checkmated. I sat there, and I held my dad's hand, and there's not a lot of voice coming out of my dad. There was no voice that day. And I just sat there and I thought, what am I doing here? I'm out of moves. I'd give anything to have my dad talk to me one more time. I loved it when my dad talked to me. I went to my mom and she's farther along than my dad and her Alzheimer's. And she just sits there almost in the fetal position. I just thought, oh, mom, this isn't you. It's just a long goodbye. And it's dark. And hopelessness breeds. Listen, some circumstances have a way of declaring checkmate and cornering all of us until we're out of moves, when all hope is lost. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're out of moves in a relationship. You're out of moves with a loved one who's battling addiction, but they don't see it, or some other character flaw that they keep denying. You're out of moves with your finances, with your career. The empty tomb, the living Jesus, I promise you, can provide a -a one-of-a-kind, unique kind of hope Because he offers what no political candidate offers, what no drug offers, what no recreation offers, no IPO offers this, no career, no benefit package offers this. You know what he offers? The promise, his promise, and his presence forever. His presence forever. And that makes all the difference. It gets us out of our checkmate moments. Let's see how it did it for Mary. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She ran to the disciples. She ran back. It's like me on Sunday morning. We have three different services on Sunday morning in the gym. I feel like Mary running back and forth. And she's crying outside the tomb. It's the ultimate hopelessness. Some of you are there, or you've been there, or I'd hate to break your bubble. All of us will be there at one moment. This is the human existence, people. 
As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, trying to make sure she wasn't in a nightmare. She's trying to bring validity to her hellish situation. And she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they put him. She's frantic. As she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there. But in her hopelessness, she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her. Now, this is just if you're a follower of Christ, you're all welcome here. But if you're a follower of Christ, if you wonder how Jesus reproves us when we don't take him at his promise, when we have a lesser Jesus we cling to, that not the Jesus revealed in his word, Jesus never comes to you. We say this all the time. He didn't come to judge you. He didn't come to condemn you. We have this thing called grace when we're in relationship with Christ. You look how Jesus restores Mary here. He asks her questions gently to bring her to a self-awareness. Some of you are running from God, and you're a follower of Christ. You placed your faith in him, and you've run away. And you think, I've gone too far. I hear this all the time. I've done too much. God would never take me back. Let these next few verses in the gentleness of Jesus give you hope of how Jesus restores Mary. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll get him. Now, she couldn't find Jesus. Don't miss this, okay? Do I have your attention? This is so important. Some of you, this is why you're here. She couldn't find Jesus. So you know what Jesus did? He found her. In the middle of the darkness, and this is our fourth of five services today, we have been praying that every one of you hear this in every gathering. Your name personally from Jesus. Mary, he said. In her dark hopelessness, Jesus finds her. When she's searching in all the wrong places, Jesus comes to her. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means uh, teacher. It's so amazing that Mary was searching for the wrong Jesus. And even in the church, I can find myself at times doing the same thing. I'm looking for a Jesus that was never displayed in the Bible. I'm looking for a Jesus that I want on my terms. I'm looking for a lesser Jesus than the great, triumphant, uh, grave-robbing Jesus that's displayed in the Bible. Jesus corrects her and raises her estimation of himself and aligns her theology, and he finds her in her dark moment, just like he'll find you if you allow him to in your dark moment, just like he found me on my parents' anniversary in the room up in Sacramento. I was sitting there having a pity party and just thinking, what am I doing here? Why have I driven three hours? This is crazy. I just want to hear my dad's voice. And then my heavenly father gave me his voice. And when I say that, you heard that in the video, God talked to me. It wasn't audible, but Jesus promised when you come to him and give your life to him, he'll live in you and you'll have a relationship with him. You dialogue through prayer. He dialogues through his word and sometimes through your conscience. And he said to me, God said to me in that moment, you'll hear your dad's voice again. This isn't the end. This is a pause. And you'll say goodbye to your dad, and you've said goodbye to his voice. But one day, in the new heaven and the new earth, you and your dad will be united and more alive than ever, ever again. 
See, years ago, my father placed his faith in Christ. And what that means, the promise I'm holding to, is that death is not the end. And that gives me hope. And right there in that room, my pity party turned into a bucket list. As I started thinking, what do I want to do with dad in the new coming kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth? Where are the places I want to go? I never got to go to our homeland together with my father, Italy. I can't wait to go there in the new heaven, the new earth. I can't wait to sail with my dad. I can't wait to run. My dad never ran with me. I just created this bucket list. And you know what happened? Hope rose. Hope rose because God keeps his promises. And it creates hope that moves. Well, here's what happened in John chapter 20 with Mary. Look what happened. It moves her. She's clinging to him because you know why? She says, don't leave me again. I lost you once. I don't want to lose you again. And don't you know she's just holding Jesus tightly. And look in verse 17 what he says. Don't hold on to me. What he's saying is don't squeeze me so tight. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Here's the deal. Hope moves. We're banking the whole mission of PCC on those three lines. Hope that moves. It's so encouraging. It's so incredible. We think it's important to move off this campus and on every school campus in Redwood City and down in the streets and down all over the area. It's not just good for the area. It's good to move all around the world until we give tons of resources off this campus. Some of that offering today, a ton of it, almost 25% will go off this campus because hope moves. He goes, go and tell my brothers, I'm ascending to the Father and your Father. To my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples. She's running the same road again, but this time with a whole new perspective. Why? What changed? The presence of Jesus. The living Jesus changed everything in her. Same run, same road, new hope, fueled by a new perspective and a new presence. Hope that moves. My pastor, when I lived in L.A., I went to a church uh, for a time in South Central Los Angeles, Dr. Kenneth Ulmer, he told this illustration I've never forgotten. A true story about two men in a museum who came across a 19th century painting of a chess game. Uh, this, this picture actually hangs in the Louvre now. Uh, the two men looking at this picture were looking at it. And so it's an image of uh, the person on the left in red is the Satan figure. The person on the right is a king. And it's a chess game for the king's soul. They're playing on a tomb. And behind them is a guardian angel of the king who isn't intervening, who isn't engaging, who is impotent to stop what's going on. The Satan figure is big and vivid and sharp in his painting. The king is soft, uh, showing how helpless he really is. And he's confused. And the Satan figure is looking at him with sinister eyes. And if we had more time, if this was an art class, this is fascinating. If you look at the king's pawns and, I'm sorry, the, the demonic figure's chess players versus the king's chess players. It's, it's amazing what this painter did. But you know what the title of this painting is? Checkmate. So the two men looking at this image are looking at it. One is an internationally renowned chess player. And he's just staring at it and he starts to move his hands. And his friend goes, come on, let's go. He goes, no, no, you go. i I, I got to look at this. Something's wrong. And he keeps moving his hands. And his friend comes back after about 20 minutes. And the internationally renowned chess player is continuing to move his hands. He's doing the computations in his mind. He says, we got to find the curator. What? He goes, we got to find the curator of the museum. This painting's all wrong. He goes, what? He goes, he either has to change the title or remove the painting. He goes, why? He goes, I've done the math. 
the king still has one more move. He's not checkmated. He has one more move. What we celebrate today on Good Friday and Easter Sunday is the fact that Jesus was arrested, tried, judged, whipped, beaten, mocked, scorned, hung on a cross to die, laid in a tomb to rot like every human body will rot. And they rolled the stone away and the Roman government turned to the world and said, checkmate. All hell turned to the world and said, checkmate. But they underestimated one thing. The king still had one more move. And on Easter Sunday, he came to life again. And that gives us a real lasting hope that whatever we face, the promise of God, his presence will go with us through anything we face. It doesn't mean everything ends up like a Disney movie, right? What it does mean, though, is whatever we go through, Jesus will go through with you. And it means his promises last forever, forever that we have eternity to celebrate him. Maybe it's stress at work. I don't know where you feel checkmated. Maybe it's in a relationship that's falling apart. Maybe it's your marriage that's already fallen apart. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or somebody you love who's struggling or estranged from you. Maybe it's financial pressure. Maybe you've done the wrong thing or said the wrong thing or made a mistake and it feels so big you could never be forgiven for what you've done. But you want to. Maybe not. Maybe you're on your game here. But the last time I checked, the mortality rate is still 100%. Whatever you're facing, our message to you today is hope moves. The king has one more move. And he promises if you turn to him, his presence will take you through whatever you go through to give you hope. I need that hope. I'm banking on that hope. This whole church rests on that hope. It's the mission that defines us, don't you? Let's pray. I'm going to ask you if it helps you to close your eyes, to close your eyes, just to block out distractions. And I want to ask you a poignant question. Where do you need to hear Jesus call your name? In what arena do you feel like you are in a godless hopeless situation it could be a relational arena it could be a professional arena it could be a health arena where you're living with a diagnosis or a habit or a hang-up or an addiction where do you need to hear the name jesus i want to ask this question of followers of christ and it's uh, something i don't want you to skirt so if you're a follower of christ whether you call pcc home or not this is a question for all of us I believe God wants us to face on Easter. Are we living for the Jesus as he's portrayed in Scripture? The all-powerful, triumphant, death can't hold him. I will be with you always. All authority on heaven and earth is given to me, so I'm giving it to you. I will fill you with my spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control in a supernatural way. Go, bring this message of hope to the world. Is that the Jesus that's reflected in your life? I don't ask that to make you feel small. I just ask that in the way Jesus does, to say there's so much more for us, and maybe you can invite Jesus into that. If you're here and you're checking out Jesus, the question I have for you is this. What's keeping you from placing your hope? I would be so bold to say your very life in the hands of Jesus. 
you know you don't have what it takes to run your own life. I don't say that as a cocky or prideful person. I say that as a humble person. You know it as well as I do. Jesus loves you just like you are right now and will receive you just as you are right now. But he's waiting for you to make the move, to turn to him and to say to him, I need you. Forgive, please, the mess I've made in my life. Give me a new start in you today. Father, we all need that hope. We can't live a day without it, a moment without it. And I'm praying, just as you did with Mary in the tomb, you would meet each one of us here in this room and fill us with hope. And whether we're giving our lives to you or giving a situation to you or have given our life and returning to you, Father, would you make something supernatural from us and through us. May we move with hope. May it it compel us to go to the least, the lost, the last, the hurting, and to minister in a way that brings you glory and is good for people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.